Good morning, church. So good to see you. It's February. My yard needs mowing. My bushes are blooming out. Something's wrong. What's wrong with this picture? I'm hoping for one more cold to kill everything. Last a little longer. It's good to see everybody. So glad that you're here today. We've been in this series of transformation out of the book of Romans. In the very first uh, uh, lesson of this, we learned it's all going to be about the gospel. That the gospel not only has the power to save in verse 16 of Romans 1, but in verse 17, the gospel reveals some things about God. It shows God to be righteous in all the things he was doing along the way. Even Old Testament, whatever it looked like, he might not be. But the gospel pulls back the curtain and we see that's how he saved Abraham. That's how he saved David. And it reveals some things about God and it reveals some things about us. Because we all have the same need because he says in, in, in 1, 18 through 320 of the book of Romans, everybody is condemned by the same thing. We all have sinned. Everybody owns his own sin. We're not guilty because of anybody else but ourselves. And so because of that, we all have the same. We're all condemned the same. We all have the same hope if we're saved through Jesus Christ, right? So we're, we're lost the same way. We're saved the same way. Every one of us. It's all because of the gospel. Now, as a result of being saved, being justified by faith, that payment was paid. That's a legal term, justified. The court was settled. The blood of Jesus took care of what I owed, and I trust God for that, and I am saved. As I'm saved, there's obligation to live a certain way, because he says, look, don't forget when you were baptized, you said the old man's dead, the new man's going to live. And when you used to be slaves to sin, now you're slaves to righteousness. And by the way, when he said the word slave, every Jew brought up in his mind Egypt and knew what it was to come out of slavery and be delivered to something better. And so he says, you're not that anymore. So now you're living this life of, of what we call sanctification. That's just a big word to say, do what's right. Live holy. Because God has set you apart to do and to be something that he wants you to be in the world. And that is to be like Jesus. And so that's the, that's the book up to now, the book of 18. And, and then the, uh, Trent did such a good job on sharing about how that we move from being adopted uh, to we move to life. We're adopted sons. We have cry, cry, Abba, Father. We don't have any condemnation in our life anymore, right? And so that gets us to this chapter in Romans 8, verse uh, 18 is where we're going to start. And the reason this is so important because, look, people are struggling. They need encouragement. And this church... This church in Rome, they needed this very, very desperately. And here's what he says. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation. Those two words in English, eager expectation in the Greek, it's actually three words combined and it means the idea of standing on your tiptoe with a head up, looking at the horizon with expectation of something better. That's the picture. Creation's on its tiptoes waiting to see what's going to happen. And we are too, by the way. And he says that for the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom 
of the children of God. He says, look, even the creation's happened. Something happened uh, uh, with the creation. When sin entered the world, remember that? When sin entered the world, uh, well, it's like this. Some of y'all going to be out mowing and working in the yard, right? Every time a thorn sticks you, you remember sin entered the world. Because when it did, thorns and thistles came up and man was kicked out of the garden, had to work that thing and all that. Sin had an impact on creation itself. And it is even waiting for Jesus to come again. Look, here's the idea. Whatever sin impacted, Jesus will do more than enough through the gospel to reverse it. And even the creation waits for that to happen. And then he says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning. Three groans are going to take place in this text. The creation groans, we groan, and the Holy Spirit groans. This groaning is in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly. Uh, wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We groan. Well, let me read the rest of the text. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Here's what He says about this. Sin not only impacted creation, sin impacted us, but it's different with us. We are guilty because of our own sin. Now, we struggle and fight our nature because sin entered the world. It influenced us. It impacted us. But the guilt of it, it belongs to us. I'm guilty because I committed sin. I'm not guilty because of my daddy or because of my brother or anybody else. It's my fault. It's my fault. And I'm saved because of the gospel. And God planned it all along. Now, there's, there's no condemnation in Christ. But no condemnation does not mean no frustration. I'm saved, but even as I am saved and a child of God, there are things in this life I deal with fighting that old nature. I'm not under the old law. Every time I sin or struggle, I'm not lost anymore. I don't sin and worry about being lost. I'm not. I'm not under the old law that said every time you sin, you die. I'm under a new law. There's no condemnation. But in my weakness, in my struggle, in my pain, there is groaning and there's frustration. There's going to be a time hit in your life when you want to go to God so you don't even have the words to, be, to express, to come out of your heart because you're hurting so bad. There's going to be some groans coming out of you because your child has, has, has rejected God or because of an addiction in someone's life. Or because of the death of someone, uh, someone you love. There's things that make us groan inside. And we fall to our knees. And look, by the way, when someone's in pain and groaning, don't defend God. 
someone loses a child and they die and someone says some statement like, well, you know, God just wanted another angel in heaven. No, that's not my God. My God doesn't want the death of your baby. A drunk driver hits a mother and she's a mother of, of children and she dies and someone says, well, God had a plan. But no, God doesn't choose evil. Man chose that evil. He, he give evil credit to who it belongs to. It belongs to Satan and the men who make evil choices. Don't blame God on that. That ain't my God. That's my devil I fight. That's not God. God, doesn't, God does not do evil. He manipulates evil for the good of his people, but he doesn't cause it. But in that groaning, when things take place in our life, sometimes we get to a point we just don't even know how to talk to God about it. There are some aches and some hurts and some groans in these pews. One man said, there's a broken heart in every pew. What do you do with it? The child of God. Many of you know when Susan and I were first married, we had trouble getting kids here. Go through, you lose one, you say, well, you know, God's trying to teach me something here. You lose two, and you say, now, God, I, I, you know, I don't know what you're trying to do now. You lose three, and you're like, okay, I, I should give up. You lose four, and you say, I, what's going on? And then you groan. And I was on my knees groaning to God. And I said the same prayer, it must have been 5,000 times. That I've grown to God. And sometimes so much I, I don't even know what to say anymore. You, you've had that hurt in your life, right? You've had that kind of pain. And then finally you realize the Holy Spirit inside of us, He says, goes to God on our behalf with groans. Look, the Holy Spirit is bilingual. And He interprets your groans with His own groans to the Father. The divine inside of us goes to the divine above us on our behalf because we've been saved by the divine one on the cross. The whole Godhead is for you and for me. Got it? He loves me. And so that Holy Spirit, He lives inside me and He goes to God in, in accordance with God's will because, because, look, I don't even know how to pray sometimes. Not only can I not word it, and when I do word it, many times I ask for the wrong things. I'm usually asking for God to remove my pain. When God is saying, I'm forming you to look more like Jesus with your pain. I'm asking sometimes things that are probably even against the will of God. The Holy Spirit goes to God on my behalf and He says, Father... uh, Mike didn't really mean what he asked for there. I mean, you know, he he didn't know. Here's really what it is. And he takes care of me in my groaning. I am not lost because I'm weak or because I groan or because I hurt. You see, Satan would love to get more mileage out of that. He would love... For you to think in your mind, you know what, if I was just more spiritual, I wouldn't be having these problems in my mind. He would love for you to think that. But your spiritual maturity has nothing to do with God being for you and saving you. And you getting more spiritual maturity does not mean God does better things for you. Remember, the Spirit works in our weakness. He works in our mess-ups. Through our pain, He takes care of us. 
Don't also carry the burden of shame and guilt. Satan would love to you to continue to be feel guilty and hold shame that does not belong to you because it was settled at the cross. You are saved. No means no. There's no condemnation. Weak, yes. Lost, no. And when will we understand and get a hold of that, that we are saved 100% even in the middle of our weaknesses? And when we're in there, the whole Godhead is pulling for us. We have, we have hope, you see, in our resurrection. But we have help in our groan, the groaning through the Spirit. So here's the deal. Don't live in the temporary like it's eternal. Many times we feel like the temporary situation we're in is eternal. Let me say it this way. Don't confuse the weather with the mountain. The mountain of God, He's there, He's solid. The weather comes and the weather goes and it changes. Don't confuse the weather with the mountain. Don't confuse the temporary circumstance as being eternal. It's not. We are on our tiptoes looking for something so much greater that whatever we're going through now, it can't even compare. Then he says this. As this is happening, he says, And we know, we know, we know, not we hope, not what might happen. We know that in all things God works. For the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Look, God's the one that's got it. Usually when we say something's done on purpose, it's usually a negative thing. Why? She did that on purpose, you know. But God's doing some things on purpose here in this text. For us. And it says He's working this thing out to the good. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. That He might be the firstborn among many brothers... And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. You see, we know, but we tend to forget that God works for us, in us, and all around us for our good according to his purpose. So he takes all your circumstances and things that happen to you, Anything happen to you bad lately? Besides me? Man, I think y'all need to be up here preaching. I need to be sitting out there by myself listening. looks like. Yeah. What does God have the ability to do? What is, what is God doing? He's like, the, he's like the expert seamstress who he is sewing together those situations and putting them together to form and make something that's good for the kingdom and, and that fits according to his purpose. And when it comes out, the picture of it looks like his son. That's what he does. Now, he deals with some words here. This foreknowing, this predestined, uh, these kinds of predestination, these kind of words sometimes bring up a lot of confusion. We already mentioned God is not an author of evil. Now this is the problem. God is sovereign in everything He does. He rules. He's God. He can do what He wants to. And yet, 
I have free choice to decide to follow him or not. My problem is I feel like I've got to figure that out and resolve the tension between the two, and I don't. Does God rule everything? Yes, he does. But when I cross the street, I look both ways. Got it? Because I still have the ability to choose, and God has made it that way, and God works it that way. He's totally sovereign in what he does, and yet he gives me free will to choose to follow him or not. That's why when you look at the evil that exists inside, God can be sovereign, but God still didn't make that evil happen. Don't you dare blame evil on God. He is incapable of causing evil to happen. But He bends it to the benefit of His people. Got it? Let's look at, let's look at a little bit of these terms. He says here, He says that there's some things that God knew ahead of time. By the way, anytime it says foreknow, this is an interesting thought. How could God foreknow something if He's I Am? Look, the language is only for us, not God. Time means nothing to Him, right? He's always present. You ever thought about it? How can God foreknow when He's already there, right? Just kind of stick that in your hmm box and think about it. The language is for us, not for him. He's writing a group of Christians to try to get something across to them about their own security. And so he's wanting them to understand that God is for them and is total control of everything that happens with them. Now, let's just go back and let's just look at this uh, uh, verse just a little bit. Verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Now, wait a minute. Right before that, he says that to those who love, who have been called. So these called people are the same ones who love him. They're the same ones who are trusting him. And and they're going to do things according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined for some. What what did he predestine about this group of people? What has already been predetermined ahead of time about the called group of people in this text? It's already been, been predetermined, the text says that they would conform to be in the image of His Son. Remember that old song? Some of you will remember. Stamp thine own image deep on, deep in my heart. There's, I knew you would. You're old enough. I knew you'd get it. The image of Christ. He's forming us to look like Jesus. It's already been predetermined. You're, you're part of the called. You're going to be conformed to look like Jesus. And He's working things to make that happen, even through your weaknesses, through the Holy Spirit. See how it all ties into the same context? So it's been, been predetermined. This is what you're going to look like. And God decided that before the foundation of the world. Let me read you little section from a, somebody wiser than me. You don't have to go far to find that. Barclay writes this about this passage. To understand this passage, we must grasp the basic fact that Paul never meant it to be the expression of theology or philosophy. He meant it to be the almost lyrical expression 
of Christian experience. The more a Christian thinks of his experience, the more he is convinced that he had nothing to do with it. And all is of God. We heard the story of love. We did not make the story. We only receive the story. Got it? God engineered our salvation before the world began. He planned it all. When a person is called, they are called by the gospel of Christ. Look in Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2 with me for just a second. Now some of you will remember this. If you've grown up in the church, you've read this section of scripture. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says... In verse 37, when the people heard this, that's the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and other apostles, Brothers, what do we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And let me stop right there. Right? Wait a minute. If you've not done that, then you do that today. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. You put your faith in Him. You be baptized into Christ. Receive forgiveness of sins of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's just a side note. You got that's free today. All right? But He preaches the gospel. This is their response. Then He says this. This story, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. You don't call on God first. God calls you. God calls you, and He does it by the gospel. Let me read you one other text. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning now, God chose you to be saved. How? Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you. How did God call me? He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember later on in Romans chapter 10, he says, How how are those folks going to get in? How are they going to hear? How are they going to call on God? But God calls us to the gospel. How can they do that, he says, unless, unless they hear? You know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. How can that take place? Because we need men to go out and preach that. And he talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. For you're a part of God calling men back to Him. And that's an exciting thing to be a part of. Now, those are called a part of God. He says something Here in this next part of this verse, he says that they are justified. They're called, they're justified, and they're glorified. Now, when he says this, he says the thing about being glorified as if it's past tense, yet it hadn't happened yet. Did you get that in the text? 
They're called. That's the gospel. They're justified. That's faith in the blood. That's Romans 4. And then he says they're glorified. And their glorification hadn't taken place yet. But remember Romans 4, we got a God who calls things that are not as though they already were. He's, because that's how sure he is of your salvation. Well, let's look at this next little section here. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. See, God's the one that's taking care of business here. Here's the words I want you to walk away with. God is for us. Got it? Say that with me. God is for us. One more time. God is for us. Let me start reading verse 31 again. What then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns Christ Jesus who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, is interceding for us? See the gospel. Always the gospel keeps revealing this stuff. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors. That idea they're more than conquerors, that's the word, uh, in the Greek that's the word for Nike. You're super Nikes. You're more than conquerors, he says. Through him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor death, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Shame on us for not being a people of more confidence that God is in control and He's holding everything together and He's working. Quit worrying about it. God's got this thing. And whatever your worry and trouble is, even when it comes, He just says, look, I'm a, the deity's inside you, deity died for you, and deity is loving and working everything out for you. How can you not come out a winner on this thing? You're more than conquerors. You're victorious in everything you do. 
Wow, if we could only really believe it. Sometimes we have a tough time, I think, believing what God has said about us. Look, God is for us. Let's put up that slide. There you go. He, he revealed it through the gospel with love. And we live it through the gospel with victory. So here's what I want you to take home. First of this chapter, no condemnation. See, there's no condemnation for those. In, if you're in Christ Jesus, then quit condemning yourself because God quit condemning you at the cross. You need to quit it because Satan's getting way too much mileage out of your self-condemnation, your guilt, and your shame. Walk humbly. Deal with sin and deal with your struggles as they come. But when you deal with them, remember, you're not under the law that says every time I sin, I die. I'm not dead dealing with my sin anymore. I'm just struggling, but i got the whole Godhead with me. I can make it through this. And then he says, no separation. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And just like no means no, nothing means nothing. Someone says, hey, yeah, but Mike, but you know what? Uh, uh, yeah, but your own, your, own, uh, you know, your own sin, your own whatever it is, it can separate you from love. No. You know what? Remember the simple verse that sometimes we try to make difficult? For God so loved the, that he gave is only God loved, God gave. For those who do not choose the gospel and are lost, God didn't quit loving them. But the Bible says God desires all men to be saved. He, it breaks his heart when people reject the Son of God. Do you understand that? Sin is it's much more than breaking law. It's breaking God's heart. And God loves all men. As a matter of fact, the payment was enough for all men. And why men reject it and won't accept it? Mm, I don't know. They just won't. Jesus said they would. There's a narrow road. There's a broad. But it breaks his heart that they don't. Does he stop loving them? No. No, he doesn't. Now, what about his own people? Remember Romans 5? If he sent Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners, how much more than does he love us when we're trying to do the right thing? Get off your back because God has your back. And live like you're victorious. Because God has got this thing. He's in control. Father, we love you. We are weak and we're sorry we doubt your love. And we're sorry, Father, that we let Satan win some battles along the way, even in our own minds and hearts, because we doubt. We don't walk with confidence the way that we can. And we're sorry for that. But thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit that appeals to you on our behalf, that helps us. And thank you, Father, for orchestrating all the events of our life 
to make us look more like Jesus Christ. We do want to be like Him. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the victory that we have before we ever knew. Thank you, Father, for planning before the world was ever made this good news of the gospel. Wow. Now you look down to the ages. Not only did you foreknow me, Father, you foreknew me and you still love me and all my mistakes and sent Jesus to die for me. For that I'm thankful. May I be more conscious of you working to form me like Jesus. May I be more usable. Father, I pray for our church to be vulnerable to your calling, to your word, to your spirit. Help us as a church to walk humbly, to do what's right, and to love mercy that you give us, those mercies that are new every morning. Thank you for making us more than conquerors. In Jesus' name we pray and the church said, Amen. Now look, who wouldn't want in on that? But God's got this thing. He's got your back. And maybe you've uh, got some sin you need to repent of. That's what the invitation's for. I'll tell you what, if you've never named him, you've never named Jesus the Lord of your life, then I don't want you to walk out of here that way. I want you to walk this way down the aisle, be baptized in Christ, start all over brand new because of the gospel. That's the best way to end the service anyway, by the way. But if, if you've just been robbed of confidence, well, memorize this chapter. Get with some brothers down here and pray together. And let's get back to living like we are victorious people, not because of us, but because of our God, and we give Him the glory. We get the blessings. God gets the glory, as it should be. If you've got a need, come while we stand and sing.